All right. Is that any better? There, I hear it. Okay. Uh, actually, I, I will share this. It is, uh, you know, we, we, we're highlighting different mission organizations and missionaries this month, and uh, this is not part of my message, but um, we assume that everyone around the world at least knows who Christ is, or they know uh, at least the basics of our faith. But I would suggest to you that even here in the United States, there are incredible needs where people simply do not know who Jesus Christ is or the basics of our faith. I'll give you an example. I was uh, with a group of individuals this week. It was four individuals, all from China. Uh, they are here in the United States. They are students at Clemson University. And uh, some of y'all might not know this, but I do Uber driving every once in a while. So this was on Friday, and uh, I was uh, riding down the road with these guys, and they asked what I do for a living. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And uh, they said, what's a pastor? And that was simply an honest question. They had never heard the term pastor before. The reality is, just because of the fact that uh, we are in the United States does not mean that every individual already knows Jesus Christ. And there are people all around the world that do not know anything about the Christian faith. I did have the opportunity that day to share Christ with those four individuals, to talk to them specifically about who Christ is and what he has done, and even to identify the need to be a part of a church. But recognize that there are many in our world who still do not know that incredible truth. So we need to be constantly aware of the privilege we have in sharing with other people. I want to read a passage of scripture. Jonathan read it once already, and I want to read it to you today. This from, comes from the New Living Translation. It says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This past week, I just mentioned that I did some Uber driving. I was out giving a ride only to find that the individual that I was picking up was a guy who attends our second service on a weekly basis. I joked with him that it's a good thing he wasn't doing something he wasn't supposed to do when the pastor showed up. The flip side of that happened to me several years ago. It was when we were first moving to Philadelphia. I had preached the previous day for the very first time in that church that I would then become a pastor of for the next 10 years. And I really didn't know the people at that point. The next morning, as we prepared to fly back to Colorado to pack up all our stuff and to move out to uh, the Philadelphia area, we stopped by a convenience store. As I grabbed my Mountain Dew, because that's just what I do, a lady at the counter said, Pastor, that was a great sermon yesterday. My very first thought, I am so glad I'm not doing something I'm not supposed to do. You know, so often we do things a certain way because of who might be watching us or who might be present with us in that moment. 
Let me suggest to you today that we need to stop pretending to be the person that others want us to be. And we need to start being the person that we know we ought to be in Christ Jesus. It's not something that you turn on or you turn off based on who is present with you at that moment in time. We need to be men and women of God all the time. The Bible is filled with people who did a great job as leaders. We see lots of very talented individuals, people like David, who was incredibly musically gifted, as well as being very adept at surrounding himself with other people who were willing to follow basically wherever he went. Then you have intelligent people like the Apostle Paul, who had been educated in some of the greatest institutions of his day. Or you have those with military skills like Joshua, or maybe you might include an individual like Joseph, a man who could even interpret dreams. But make no mistake, the greatest talents and abilities in the world cannot compare to what you have when an individual chooses to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. In fact, as we look at the book of Acts, we see that there was nothing especially unusual about the disciples. Peter and John one day find themselves being interrogated by the religious ruling council. They don't have much to say, but what they say is significant. As the religious ruling council responds, they note that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men. This is not about their talent or their abilities. It's not about all the knowledge that they have. But they go on to say, yet they had been with Jesus. Let me suggest this morning that the most valuable strength that you will ever have will always be found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that strength will reveal itself in many different ways. And we see that in our passage this morning. The first of which is found within your family relationships. And it makes sense as one relationship naturally feeds another relationship. Our passage calls husbands to be blameless in their marital relationship while also managing our children well. It should be noted that Paul wrote a parallel passage to this passage in Titus. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. We're not going to read it in its entirety now, but I am going to reference that passage multiple times this morning. So I want to encourage you, if you want to go ahead and look over there as I speak, you'd be welcome to. It would seem that the church at Ephesus was fairly similar to the church at Crete. And therefore, they would naturally need similar things. And as we consider this passage, it's interesting that Paul starts both passages in the same place. He calls the individual to be above reproach or blameless and faithful to his wife. But faithfulness to your wife comes in multiple ways. The first way that most of us think about this is obviously in regard to keeping our marital vows. And certainly this is incredibly important. It is unfortunate, but we've all seen families that were destroyed because of marital unfaithfulness. And I know this can happen to men and women. It's not just one or the other. Both of them can be just as 
unfaithful. But know that there is more to marital faithfulness than just keeping your marital vows. Ephesians 5 instructs the husband to love the wife just as Christ loved the church. And what that means is to love her sacrificially. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for the church. He sacrificed himself so that she could be made whole and perfect. That means that anything and everything of yourself, you must be willing to give that up so that she might be better off. That means not thinking of yourself first, but truly thinking of your spouse. But it also means that the husband is to be the spiritual leader within his home. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. Now, I understand some of this today is not going to be politically correct, so I'm just going to go ahead and start right now. If I offend you, I'm not apologizing. The word speaks very clearly on this. The husband has the responsibility to lead his family to Christ. This doesn't mean that the husband is always in charge or that he always gets his way. Instead, it means that he must lead by example. If the head of every man is Christ, then that means the husband needs to be a spiritual role model just as he is intended to be. Your spouse, your wife is watching you. Your children are watching you. I wonder, when was the last time your family heard you pray? I'm not talking about, now I lay me down to sleep. I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for this food that we're about to receive. I'm talking about, when was the last time your family genuinely heard you pray for things that are going on in your life. Finally, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Again, before you get all politically correct on me with this statement, please understand that this is somewhat of a generalization. I understand that not all men are stronger than women, and not all women are weaker than men. But generally speaking, if a guy gets beat by a girl in anything, we will be harassed for it. It's just the way it works. Linda and I used to play ping pong a lot, but there was a problem. If I won, it really didn't count because, well, she's just a girl. In fact, she would respond, good job, you beat a girl. But if I lost, I was humiliated because I lost to a girl. Do you want to know why we don't play ping pong anymore? <laughs> Instead of being offended today, let's just realize that there are differences between men and women. Let's just, let's get what clearly was instructed to the people here. What this passage is talking about, it means that husbands need to lead with gentleness. Certainly husbands need to be strong, but they also need to be comforting and encouraging. When things don't go as planned, 
Husbands need to be that calming voice that reassures their wives that it's going to be okay. And much of this is founded in the reality that we are to be equal partners. It matters what she thinks. When she's having a hard time, it matters. Husbands, we have a responsibility to be there to comfort and to strengthen our wives. And if we're not doing that, we're not fulfilling the role God has for us. The second part of this is found in our relationship, not just with our wife, with our wife but also with our children. According to Titus 1, our children must be believers and not have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. The first part of this is making sure that our kids are believers. Not only are we teaching them what it means to have faith, but are we showing them what it means to live out our faith? My question for you is this. If your children were to imitate your faith, would they also imitate Jesus Christ? You see, our kids are watching us all the time. And I know a lot of this today has already been directed at the husband, at the man in the home. But I want the husband and the wife to hear this. It is vitally important that your children see what it is to be a child of God in you. I'm not talking about being disciplined by being in church on Sunday morning. That is a part of it, and I think you should be disciplined to be in church on a regular basis. Your children need to see that that's a priority to you. What I'm really talking about here is how do you handle things in the home? I know you look good on Sunday, but what about when you and your spouse have a disagreement? Do you still honor Christ in the way you handle that disagreement? What about when money's not what you really think it should be? You're stressing over money. Are you turning to, actually, you know, money is the second largest reason for divorce today. In that moment of financial woe or financial concern, do you turn to Christ or do you Try to fix it all on your own. And next thing you know, you're fighting over things and little things that don't mean a whole lot become really big things because really there's another issue that's in play. I'm going to tell you, if your kids aren't seeing it on a daily basis, something is wrong within you. The other thing that is addressed in our passage is, in this verse, it deals with the reputation of our children being wild and rebellious. Our parallel passage from 1 Timothy chapter 3 says it this way. It says, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Understand that there is an element of this that it does matter what our kids do. But this is not intended to say that our kids' poor choices should exempt us to where we can no longer serve as leaders in church. But it should be clear that we have a responsibility first to teach our kids about Christ. And assuming that you've taught them well, the hope would be that your children will all make godly choices. But know that this is not a guarantee. The real question is, are you giving your children 
the tools to make the right choices? Are you pointing them to Jesus Christ? What that means, I have three children. And I hope and pray that my kids have learned the lessons that they ought to so that as they go through life, they will walk in a way that honors him. I hope that I have given them the tools and that they have seen it in me. But don't be foolish and naive and think that that is a guarantee that they will always make the right choices. I've seen, actually, unfortunately, pastor's kids have a terrible reputation in the church. Pastor's kids, oh, they're the worst. And I heard it as a kid, and I thought it as a kid, but now I got pastor's kids, and I don't like that idea anymore. You see, the reality is there are good people who are teaching their children the right way to live, pointing them to Jesus Christ, but it's not a guarantee that they will walk in that path. But we must be giving them the tools that they need. And if we're not... What makes us think we're going to give those tools to anybody else, at least in the way that would honor God? Well, the second thing that is addressed in our passage this morning in Titus chapter 1 is that we must be blameless not only in our family relationships, but also in our social integrity. Verses 7 and 8 says that such a leader must not be overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. You know, while we talk about social integrity, I think it might be wise for us to talk about what it means to be blameless. There is a big difference between being blameless and just being blameless most of the time. For example, usually not giving in to drunkenness is not the same as being blameless, never giving in to drunkenness. The term usually and never have completely different meanings. What this comes down to is determining today that this is who I and you will be. Not just when certain people are watching us, but all the time. I have heard parents say, well, I don't do that in front of my kids. Well, if you don't do it in front of your kids, you probably shouldn't be doing it in front of anybody else either. Or when nobody else is looking. You can't turn it on and turn it off just based on who the audience may be. I gave you some examples earlier of random encounters let me give you one more random example. One night I was out with the police department. Uh, we were standing along College Avenue, which is in downtown Clemson, simply talking to people in hopes that a police presence would deter people from being dumb. You know that it doesn't always work that way. That particular night, there was a guy who was quite drunk, and he knew that he was about to pick a fight with a group of other individuals. So in preparation for his fight, he decided to go make friends with all of the police officers. As he walked down the line of officers, he introduced himself to each officer and thanked them for their service. Now understand, by the way, I am not actually a police officer. They give me a badge, and it looks like I'm official, but I'm there as a volunteer, as a servant. But people don't read. 
My stuff says chaplain on it. They all think it says captain. They don't know. So anyways, I'm standing there, and he gets to me, and as he gets to me, I, introduce, I, I interrupt him. I said, do you know who I am? He stood there for a moment, looking me over, slightly puzzled. He said, well, you, you look familiar, but I don't really know who you are. I reply, well, my name is Pastor Mike, and you've been attending my church for the last month or so now. Suddenly, his eyes lit up, Pastor Mike. <laughs> and he looked up and he said, I got to confess, Pastor I've been drinking. I said, really? <laughs> Understand that in that moment, he was not excited to see the pastor. Well, he was just for a split second when he, he first realized who, who he was talking to. But know this, had he not put himself in that position, there would have been no reason for the shame and embarrassment that followed. And so often what we do is we put ourselves in positions where if someone else were to see us, we would be ashamed of those choices. The truth is, if we would just live the same way, regardless of who the audience is, man, I tell you what, we could make an incredible difference for Christ and there would be no shame related with it. I will tell you, by the way, just to end that story um, I did spend some time talking with the individual. We had prayer out there on Clems, uh, what is that, College Avenue. We had prayer out there. We took time. Actually, I was able to get him with another police officer who took him home that night before he did something really stupid. So it worked out really well, but understand that there was no reason for the shame. He simply should not have been doing the things that he was doing. Determined today who you will be all the time, not just when the pastor is watching you. Nothing escapes the sight of the Lord. Remember the words of Jonah who cried out from the belly of a whale, where can I hide from the sight of the Lord? This may sound like a difficult task, but I suggest to you that it's really just about fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ and getting as close to him as possible. Used to be years ago, I was... Uh, much more adventurous when I would preach. And I remember uh, doing a sermon uh, where I used a bow and arrow. And uh, I had someone else in the church that they volunteered, which is a really brave choice, but they volunteered to take an apple and put it on their head. And then I was going to shoot this apple off of their head. And imagine for, I'm not doing it today, just so I see people, oh no, I don't want to watch this. Uh, imagine for a moment Raymond standing at the back of the church because he trusts me and I'm sure he would have been willing to do it. And he's got this apple on the top of his head and I'm standing up at the front. And my job is to shoot that apple. But what happens is every time I get ready to shoot, I make another excuse why I just can't do it from that distance. My eyes aren't what they used to be. You know, there's a little bit of a breeze in here. There's all kinds of reasons until finally I get to the point that literally the tip of the arrow is touching the apple. And then I would actually shoot it off of their head. 
understand that the point of that is to say that we can try to hit the mark, but for some of us, what we're doing is we are trying to hit the mark from a great distance away. We are not actually in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're trying so hard to be good and to do the things that we're supposed to do. But the truth is we're going to miss more than we hit. And it's because we're not truly as close to the target as we ought to be. The target is Jesus Christ. We must determine who we will be. But in order to do that, we must now fix our eyes on Jesus and truly draw near to him and allow his presence to change who we are. Well, the next thing that we must be blameless in is our biblical pursuit. If you want to be a real leader in your household or in the world outside of the home and church, then you need to be a spiritual leader. Our passage says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. In order to hold, form, to hold firmly to the truth, you must first know the truth. There are far too many people in the church who the only truth that they know is what the pastor told them on Sunday morning or what grandma told us when we were kids. Too many of us do not actually know the word of God. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Know that if we do not spend time studying, meditating, getting to know the Word of God, we cannot expect that somehow we will live according to the Word of God. We need to get to know the Word of God. That means we need to be intentional with that. Husbands, wives, children, you have a responsibility to know the Word of God and if you ever want to become all that he would have you be, you need to know that word. You see, the real question is, who will determine what sound doctrine truly is? Do I get to determine that? Do, do I determine what is right? Actually, one of the greatest stories uh, that, that Paul talks about, he talks about the Bereans. He says the Bereans were of more noble character because they went home, tested, and approved that which was spoken to them. You see, they had a preacher, Paul, who was telling them sound doctrine. But they're looking at it and say, are we, are we sure this is sound doctrine? I want to make sure that it is. So they went back and they compared it to the word of God that they knew to already be truth. But we cannot do that if we do not ourselves get into the word of God. There was a time. That individuals in the church knew the Word of God much better. And I would even say those in ministry and pastors like myself. Because things have changed in our world today. 
Someone would come and they would say, well, pastor, do you know where this is in the scriptures? And often the pastor needed to at least know how to find the answer. But you know what we do now? We don't even ask the pastor anymore. Let me look it up on Google because everything's there. So basically, instead of getting to know the word of God, we allow the internet to do it for us. It's time for us to get back into the word of God so that we can know what sound doctrine is, so that we can have a foundation that's built on something that will last instead of one that changes based on who it is that is in front of us. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. The last thing that it said in there is that we must also be able to share this truth with others and even those who oppose it. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you were able to share the word of God with others? I'm glad you said yesterday, but the truth is many of us haven't done it in years, and here's the reason. We really haven't spent as much time in the word to begin with. So where would we start? We feel inadequate. You know, I might say things wrong. I, I don't have all the answers. But if we will get back to the word of God, we will have the answer that we need, and it's found in the word of God. Now, I do want you to notice one last thing this morning, and it's the thing that is not present in our passage. As Timothy and Titus both seek out leaders for the early church, it is interesting that neither of them are instructed to look for specific talents and abilities in those who are in leadership. Today, we live in a culture that is much more interested in what you can do for me. We want to know about the different talents and abilities. And please understand that there is value in us doing ministry well. I am not saying that it's wrong for us to make sure that a church service is done very well. In fact, we ought to do it well because we're supposed to do it in honor of our God. And therefore, we should give our best to worship. But I will also say that we live in a very dangerous world. I'm talking about the church world. Where today, doctrine, sound doctrine, is not really sound because it is being driven by those who they may be very talented, but they may be spiritually shallow as well. We are far more interested in their musical ability than we are whether or not they are going to teach and preach and speak the truth that comes from the Word of God. There was a time that the church saw holiness as their greatest priority. But let me suggest that maybe that's not the case anymore. We have focused so much on trying to make church attractive to other people, when in reality, church was never about people. We don't come together for your entertainment. I want you to enjoy worship. I want it to be a good experience for you, but this service is not for you. This is for him. We come together to worship him and to honor him. And truthfully, it doesn't even matter if the style of music is what you like. What matters is whether or not what we bring into worship truly honors him. The individual that I picked up this week, I won't give you his name. I hope you get to, to meet him. Uh, but he is an individual from another country and I'm talking about the one who, uh, he attends our second service. 
And he and I were talking as he is a captive audience in my truck, so he, we were talking. And as we were, he began to talk about church. He said, I love the way you preach. He said, but the truth is, worship is very different here than it is in my country. He said, but I'm okay because I know the word of God is being preached truthfully. My hope is that you would fix your eyes on Christ above everything else. Don't get caught up in all of the other things that we have made church to be. It's not about our talents or our abilities. It's not about the type of music that you have. It is all about honoring Jesus Christ above everything else. And if we will do that, I truly believe that we will become a church that changes this world. The root of this is fixing our eyes back on Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat the same statement I made earlier. Stop pretending to be the person others want you to be and start being the person you know you ought to be. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that at times we have minimized church to a performance We have minimized the Christian life to keeping a list of do's and don'ts and making sure that other people see the right side of us. But Father, this is truly about you. And I pray right now that you would help us to truly become the people that you created us to be. I pray that you would help us to draw near to you so that we don't have to worry about missing the mark and hoping that we hit the target, but rather help us to get so close to you that we cannot miss. Father, I pray that you would help us to be the people we ought to be all the time. But let it begin here as we surrender our lives fully to you. Let us determine today who we will be, not only today, but tomorrow. Father, I pray that you would help us to be individuals and a church that would truly honor you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stop pretending to be the person that others want you to be and start being the person that you know you ought to be. So good to have you with us this morning. I invite you to come back next week and uh, our regular, uh, we'll have some of my staff is gone today. They're on a cruise. Uh, I'm very jealous, but that's okay. Uh, It is a blessing to have you and they'll be back next week. Come back and join us next week. You are dismissed. Oh, actually, wait, one more thing. There are some Trinity Wesleyan Church shirts that are out front in the foyer. If you have not grabbed one, I want you to grab one before you leave. And I have this request. I know some of y'all love taking selfies. Take a picture of your shirt on you and put it on Facebook and let other people know that you are a part of the church. In fact, the greatest church. So we're glad to have you. So thank you and go in peace.